Daydream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Orphan 18, and today we are doing Choke, and I have two great guests with me. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi, um, I'm known as Claniac14. Um, you can just call me Holly. And I'm RB, also known as C. Kerouac on Tumblr. 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 Ah, oh, that word is so hard to pronounce today. Tumblr. It's 10 years old today. Tumblr is 10 years old today. Yes. And apparently it takes a decade for me to not be able to say the name of it. It's on blah, 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 blah. So it's an auspicious start to a wonderful episode. Yes. Um, okay. So we're talking about choke. And um, a lot of this episode has to do with uh, the seniors graduating and we get... Um, a lot of, you know, Rachel prepping for her Niata stuff and Pog prepping for his big test. And a lot of, um, and then, of course, there's the big B storyline, which we won't really be going into much, but it's there. Um, but it takes about five minutes to get into the episode when we first get our first uh, Kurt and Blaine scene. And they are doing, this is Kurt um, on the stage, and he is performing Phantom of the Opera um, music of the night. Can I just take a moment to talk about the scene that comes before it with, uh, Rachel doing her, it's basically every teen or sports movies getting ready for the big game montage. And I find it absolutely hilarious because it's something that you only see with, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my Rocky thing and I'm going to run, I'm going to do push-ups, And she's like, I'm doing vocal exercises. I've got thin timing me for how many expressions I can do in 30 seconds. I see everything as a distraction and I'm going to ignore all the distractions and I've got all my superstitions. And I just thought that the way that they did it was absolutely hilarious in, in the, uh, it's not sports, but it's music. And I thought it was wonderful. It's one of my favorite Glee scenes. Yeah, that is pretty funny. Oh, go ahead, Holly. Did you have something to say? No, I was just gonna I was just like reiterating like what RB was saying. Like it is pretty funny the way that they um have like some of the students like have signs up and about her like her apprehensions for um the audition and it is pretty funny the and I mean, her, her apprehensions are like, I'm going to get killed by a stalker and, you know, somebody's going to roll over my voice in their Jeep. I mean, it's a whole bunch of random things that a normal put- person 
person would not worry about. But as we know, Rachel Berry is no normal person. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's kind of nice to give her some lighthearted moments because, gosh, the end of this is going to be going to be awful for her. But this also starts down the Rachel Berry overkill that is the end of the season. So, um, yeah. and this is my favorite type of Rachel: the over-the-top, uh, comical, really into it. M- more than normal people are put a star on the end of her name type Rachel Berry instead of what we are unfortunately given a lot of times, which is the every aspect of validation on the show tells her that she's the best. I love it when it's coming from her. It's like, of course I'm the best. I've got to work on this. I I can do all of these faces and why wouldn't they want all these faces? Happy, sad, anger, thoughtful, 30 seconds. Good. So this is, <laughs> This is top-notch Rachel Berry, and I love it. And now we and now we can go into music of the night. Well, it was just funny. I just thought of it. It reminded me a little bit of um, Cooper for a second. <laughs> it 100% reminds me of Cooper. And as anybody who has listened to this podcast knows, I enjoy Cooper Anderson a normal amount. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why Rachel played into what Cooper had like just fed to all of them so oh she soaked it up like a sponge (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah okay Uh, so uh going into music of the night um yeah (laughs) it's not it's oh man it's so ridiculous i mean you've got tina playing christine who and tina is so like just as a prop it's really kind of ridiculous tina is checked out (laughs) Definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't her like foot fall asleep and like she can't really move? And so yeah. one of my other favorite things about this scene, a lot of times when Glee does these musical numbers, they shift into what cannot possibly be actually done in a high school gym for what they've got. So <laughs> speaking of Cooper, like the giant screens all showing Matt Bomer's face or when they do like a Katie or a Gaga and they're in these massive massive costumes and they've got fireworks i love it that they stuck to what as an audience member you would have been seeing kurt swaying back and forth in what is obviously a party city cloak (laughs) a number of candles which i do not understand why it did not set off the smoke alarm or something (laughs) i love the candles (laughs) it's it's so many candles maybe we need more candles and it's it's very basic choreography and i love that they left it as that <laughs> yeah i do too and i think i mean obviously they set it up this way so it's a bit more comical and ridiculous comparatively to when he does not the boy next door but this is kind of like what you would expect more from a high school student right. <laughs> uh, but i love i love the mask and the cape and like <laughs> the way over dramatic choreography and I- and I'm not saying that he didn't do a, a perfectly passable job of the song with a lovely high note at the end. Mm-hmm. But is this really what we want to see Kurt doing? No. But but Blaine is there as a supportive boyfriend. He's he's gonna help him out with this. Kurt suggests that he should do it naked or with more candles. <laughs> Which are all very valid suggestions that are rightfully shot down. <laughs> so, I, to put in context a little bit too, this comes after um, "Dance with Somebody," where Kurt and Blaine had that big, you know, their big first big fight, 
And um, so, yeah, Blaine's kind of sitting in the background. You can kind of tell. He's just like, okay, sweetie, we, all right, if you really want to do this. Um, <laughs> but I, I love the suggestions that Kurt makes, like, because he's bored with himself. And what he said, like, what if he does it in German or sequences cape or do it in the nude or the, <laughs> add more candles? And Blaine's reaction at no, the end of the scene. No, no more candles. No more candles. <laughs> It's so amazing. No. Is one of, and it is one of my favorite Blaine lines. No, yes. no, no more candles. I totally agree. That <laughs> I love that. And every time I watch the episode, that is like the best thing. And I know that it's coming, but I giggle every time. It's not like a full out laugh. I giggle because yeah. it's just, it's just funny. <laughs> no, no more candles. And I think it's just, it's hilarious in, the, in, in that, you know, you're not expecting it to. I mean, because at this point, Blaine is like, okay, I'm going to support you and whatever and him just to be like no just stop no 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 <laughs> well, he has a history of doing that with him motioning for kurt to put down his hands when he's yep. auditioning for the warp you know blaine has a very good track record of trying to rein in some of kurt's more elaborate suggestions like maybe you shouldn't do this in German in the nude while setting the auditorium on fire. Maybe we could come up with a, a step back solution. Maybe that's the name of the, I'm going to name the title <laughs> in German and nude. And <laughs> lighting the fire, lighting the auditorium on fire. Oh my God. <laughs> but Blaine is a, Blaine is a wonderful uh, kind of normalizing force and Blaine gets his ridiculous moments as well delightfully so but but in these types of situations he's good at trying to rein in uh Kurt's more creative devils yeah yeah and it's kind of funny I like that they're that he's able to do that like not many people are gonna be able to tell Kurt you know maybe you know overdoing this is is not a good thing well and not many people can tell him that without Kurt bristling I mean, because when somebody tells Kurt not to do something, he's like, screw you, I'm going to do it and in sequence. Yeah. Whereas you get Blaine going, maybe not. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's probably that's probably too much for a college audition for a made up school, a school that does not exist that I am not entirely sure is not a scam. <laughs> it's not a witch school. <laughs> it's not a witch school. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so um, I want to just say a quick thing because I'm scrolling past. Uh, we get into Puck singing, um, um, oh, what is it, Alice Cooper song, uh, School's Out. And it's like right before he's hitting on the teacher, and the teacher's like, what the frick are you doing? <laughs> well, this isn't a teacher that we've seen before I don't think so she's not used to these glee kids antics unlike some of the other teachers who have been uh teaching multiple classes isn't like the French teacher also the home ec teacher also the like math teacher or something I mean yeah at this poor underfunded public school well she's the have... one that went crazy um and, uh, and oh, yeah. um that's who will replace in the Spanish teacher she's the one yeah, that too much acclaim what a what but a wonderful man. Best teacher ever. Gold star. <laughs> so, so Puck comes in, singing into the choir room, singing this heavy metal song, which they don't do in Glee very often. And everybody's reactions are hilarious. Even Santana looks scared. She's like, what the frick? Mercedes <laughs> has got her jaw dropped. Blaine looks really confused. And Kurt is scared. It's so funny. I maintain that Blaine is... 
even after transferring to McKinley, he's confused by the reality that he has somehow got himself into all for the love of a cute boy. (laughs) And it's kind of the speech that we give young girls, you know, don't, don't make choices based on this boy who says he loves you. And I kind of feel like looking at Blaine going, this is the choice you made for the, for the cute boy (laughs) who said he loved you. And you went into this wonderland of confusion and this is what you get. They're insane. I'd also like to say that for all the importance that we, that this episode has for um, the continuing storyline for New York, that's going to come for the multiple next seasons that part of the episode takes up much less uh, time than I remember it as I was rewatching and I skipped through the rest of the stuff that wasn't Kurt or Blaine. And I'm kind of sitting there going, wow, there's not much. This, this, this audition yeah. storyline, even though it looms large in repercussions for the show, it's not that much of the episode. No. And um, in, in, on top of that is the fact that you know, a lot of this is going to have racial repercussions. I mean, R- Rachel's story is going to unfold over the next one, two, three, yeah, four episodes yeah. to get her to New York. And Kurtz is not. <laughs> like, he's not going to have much to do <laughs> after this. So. No. My poor baby. Beast storyline is is the one about, is, is about spousal abuse. And, I, I, you know... I, I don't think it's a bad storyline. I'm a little confused as to why Glee felt that it needed to do it. But I give kudos to Dot Marie Jones and Jane Lynch and the girls. They do an excellent job with the storyline, even if it's not something I, you know, really know why they did it. Yeah, like they thought it was like a afterthought to like add into the episode itself because they didn't have enough to do with the audition I guess that's what I'm thinking of well this is also kind of when they started you know trying to be very you know these are big important issues and not saying that they aren't but coupled with uh Quinn's texting and driving which was in the news and now domestic violence which is in the news later on they have a school shooting which was in the news and they have all of these kind of not ripped from the headlines but it's a whole, you know, NBC, the more you know kind of thing that Fox decided to steal um, that I don't, I don't think really fits in with the tone of Glee. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're not things that I enjoy. And, th- and this is what, it, this is a storyline that I don't rewatch. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And, and you can kind of tell, because Cooter was not originally written to be an abuser, and it kind of makes me sad that they, you know, I, it, like again, I think Dot Rage Jones did so well with it, but it's sad that Beast had to go through that. Like, because they, I feel like they throw crap at Beast all the time. And well, her storyline seemed to be the afterthoughts. Like, oh, we should, we should do this, quote unquote, important storyline. Uh, make Beast do it. Yeah. Yeah. Which it would be one thing if it was something that had obviously been set up and there was some character or a narrative growth around it, but it really did seem like most of her storylines just got tossed to her in a, we've got to fit this in, we'll make her do it. Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't going to have it be like Will and Emma, um, so. Of course not, because he is a magical unicorn of wonderfulness. <laughs> 
Um, I think they also thought they were really clever when they came up with the title Choke. Because, you know, Rachel chokes on her addition and Puck chokes on his test. And, you know, little choking is in this episode, so. Yeah, yeah they're witty. <sighs> so, anyway. Um, on to the more fascinating things. We get this cute little scene um, between Blaine and Mike. And Mike wants to gel his hair for prom, so he asks <laughs> Blaine for tips. And, <laughs> and Blaine gets super into it. Because gelling is his life. It is, and he has a lot of really important facts to impart <laughs> to his friends. And he's so happy that somebody has finally wised up enough to ask him. <laughs> It's like, I thought, I thought you'd never ask. He's so excited to explain how, like, you can use a little water or sweat and it's a whole new do. I wonder if this is a conversation that Blaine has had with Kurt and he's tried to pull Kurt over to the gel side. And Kurt is like, no, I want to be able to get some height in my hair as opposed to matting it down flat. So this may, this may be an argument that they've had many a times. And he's just excited to be able to uh, be on the winning side of this argument now with Mike. Well, to be fair though, I mean, Kurt does have a lot of product in his hair. So oh, he 100% has a lot of product, but it's not the same type of product that Blaine is using. <laughs> Kurt is going for height. Blaine wants to get rid of his hair, like the, the curls, but Kurt wants to accentuate what hair he has. Well, the higher the hair, the closer to God, which yes. I kind of feel like is, is <laughs> Kurt's modus operandi. He would fit very well at a Texas beauty shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like sometimes it got higher, like throughout the seasons. It did. <laughs> Did. Each each time his eyebrows would raise, his hair would go up another half inch. <laughs> I always used to make the joke that Kurt's hair defied gravity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are laughing. You haven't heard me say that before, but everybody else groans. <laughs> Aw, it's okay. No, We're going to laugh at a funny joke. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I love, um, this scene is kind of cute too, because, um, well, Blaine is boxing, so it's a throwback to the boxing. Um, but the guys are just, like, hanging out in the weight room. I mean, is this gym or something? I mean, I know it's Finn is going to be, um, they're all together because Finn is worried about Puck. And he, Finn, he's like, does anybody know, notice anything that's missing? And Sam's like, you finally shook the last five pounds, dude. Congrats. <laughs> they were all really supportive of him. So, you know, good good for that i mean it could be gym class it could be after school it could be on a random sunday afternoon who knows when it comes to glee time glee has absolutely no concept of what an actual school during an actual school day should be so i by this point i stopped questioning it's like yeah sure they're all hanging out in the weight room why wouldn't they (laughs) i like that joe is doing yoga in the background um, yeah, I, for, I keep forgetting that he exists. I keep forgetting Rory exists. Rory's in this thing, too. Oh, yeah, the Irish kid. Obviously, I forget that he exists. <laughs> um, two quick things, though. The first thing is, I do like that the little Blaine Mike inter- and Interchange um, speaks a lot about their background friendship that they had through season three, because that's definitely there. Should have showed it more. Yeah. Should have showed it more. They could have had a really cool storyline there somewhere, but you know what? Oh. They did not. But no, more time for Rachel. Yeah. And Finn and Puck and all those other dudes. And Rory! I mean, (laughs) why are we wasting time with these random kids when you could have something like Blaine and Mike? 
Because they did the Glee project, so they had to use them. Well, that was a dumb choice, and I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> ignore you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole you know, Nick Fury Avengers, seeing as how the committee has made a stupid-ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to... Uh, it's just funny to me that Puck is so concerned... I mean, sorry, Finn is so concerned about Puck. And he's like, us Glee guys, you know, we're going to all graduate. And it cracks me up because the only other person that's a senior in that room right now is Mike. And <laughs> the rest of them don't really care about Puck. Well, Finn probably forgot that they weren't all seniors. I forget that they weren't all seniors. The show forgets that they aren't all seniors. I mean, they all went to senior ditch day. That's true, they did. Except for Blaine, but he wasn't happy, so he didn't go. This is true. He was, he was busy sulking because of family problems. <laughs> With his super attractive older brother. <laughs> I also like that Clint. Uh, that, gosh, man, I can't talk today. Um, that Puck Finn, his name is Finn, <laughs> talks about that Puck hasn't showed up for any of the Call of Duty tournaments. And I love that's in there because it's not only just such a teenage boy thing, but I like the idea of them all playing like video games together. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a life outside of the weight room where Chu creepily wraps his head around going, I'm going to find new singers. <laughs> and then Joe's like, I'm going into full-blown player mode. Prayer mode. Prayer mode. <laughs> well, he's a prayer warrior. He is. He's, he's fighting the good fight. Bless him. Oh. In the Southern sense, bless his heart. <laughs> All right, so then we get into um, a Hummelberry scene at the lockers, and it's funny because it like um, Blaine is with the boys during this entire episode, and Kurt's got Rachel during this entire episode, and then the girls, the rest of the girls, are all on the the um, spousal abuse storyline. Um, so everybody kind of like stays in their lane in this episode. There's not really much like jumping to the other lane, if that makes any sense. I'm comparing storylines to lanes of a highway. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, yep, so, apparently, um, Kurt has already decided to change his song for his audition. Good choice, Kurt. Yes, very good Good choice. (laughs) And, um, Rachel is freaking out about that. Now, I think she's projecting quite a bit here. 100% projecting. Mm -hmm. Everything that she says is basically things that she's saying to herself, she could put a mirror in between her and Kurt and it would be the exact same speech. Uh. Don't you dare change your options. You know this back and forth. This is what you were born to do. You've got this. I love you myself. It's a, it's a very Jenna Maroney thing. Um, it's weird that she brings up that it's too controversial. I don't really understand why it's too controversial, but... Oh, God yeah. only knows. <laughs> God only knows. It's not 1960. You can't wear Peter <laughs> Allen's gold lame pants. <laughs> Which, as we have seen, if Blaine had said that, he would have been like, okay, maybe I can't. But with Rachel, it's, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you think I can't wear gold lame pants? I'm going to put them under my tearaway pants. <laughs> and even Kurt's like, this was controversial in 1962. I can still do this now. That's kind of yeah. But yeah, so... You're right. I mean, Rachel's like going off about how you know the song, and which is funny because we've never heard him sing "Family" no. the opera before. No, 
<laughs> so it's not like it's not like don't rain on my parade, which Rachel, it, it, you know, we've heard her sing it. We That's she's talked about singing it. That's her jam. She, you know that. But with Kurt, I mean, you know, the sad part is we really haven't seen too much about Kurt prepping for his. Oh, I guess we have because of Dance with Somebody. But like, uh, you know, the Miata just gets brought up whenever they feel like they need to make the next plot point in the story. It's not like it's a lot of background, though. But they don't have a good track record of people working towards things anyway. They never practice for any of the performances that they do. They don't practice for their one college uh, audition because, of course, you should wait until the very last minute and only apply to one college, especially as a performing arts major. This is a wonderful, wonderful uh, storyline to tell people. If anybody's listening to this and thinks that this is a good idea, no, this is a literally terrible idea. Don't ever do that. If you have any questions, I used to work as an admissions officer. Please ask me because this is a terrible choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, this reminds me a little bit, RB, of of our conversations in I Am Unicorn. um, Just about audition processes. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, terrible choices. Um, it's a couple of things that I wanted to mention about this scene. The first being, um, I kind of like that Kurt is, you know, kind of ignoring her advice, kind of saying, Hey, you know, I need to do something that I'm passionate about, about something that makes me feel alive, something that makes me feel like I'm really going to, you know, give everything my best and something, you know, I, I, you know, even if it isn't the most rehearsed anything ever, um, it's something that will be more genuine. Whereas based on the, the performance of Phantom of the Opera of music in the night in the other scene, it was so, it, there was no life to it. No. And that's not going to get you into a performing arts school. No. So, and I mean, and a lot of this, again, as you know, we're getting into the point where I harp on this point a million times, this is all set up for Rachel's story. Like this part of, you know, Kurt going out and, and doing the audition this way and kind of feeling confident about it. It's, you know, it's not only just setting up the fact that Rachel's going to choke later on, but also setting up the fact that we're going to switch it and eventually she's going to get it and Kurt's not. That's one of the things that I really dislike about this episode's um, position in the storyline, because as you're watching it, when I was watching it, when it was airing, I had this, amazing reaction of finally Kurt is victorious. And I thought that this was Kurt's victory when in fact, it's really just uh, playing a part for Rachel's defeat and ultimate comeback at, at the expense of Kurt. And I was, I was so excited that he was finally getting recognized for his talent and he wasn't getting passed over and somebody was somebody in a position of authority was finally giving him the validation that he should have been getting from Shu for a very long time. Yeah. And instead of it being victorious, it's then all stripped away. (sighs) We see that so many times with Kurt and Rachel yeah. Because, like, even in the first season with Defying Gravity, like, she was set, like, no, you're not going to sing Defying Gravity because it's a, made for a woman. And he goes out and tries to do his best, but then, lo and behold, just because he is a guy and he wants to sing 
a girl song, it's just not going to happen, and he doesn't want to embarrass his father. But, like, that's, like, a whole other storyline. But it just seems like whenever Rachel gets validation, Kurt is put down somehow. Yeah, the show really has a bad habit of not... And the problem is that Kurt has a very pretty cry face. So I feel like it's just easier for them to do a sad Kurt storyline where he's, you know, trying to bring himself back up by his bootstraps against the world that's trying to keep him down instead of having at one point being like, yeah, you know, you're pretty damn talented. Let's mm-hmm. let's do that. And they never let Rachel fail. So what yeah. could have been an incredibly interesting and really character growth for Rachel to have to pull herself back up from where she thought she was going to be. Cause I have, I have no argument with her being ultimately successful. I think that she's a very talented girl with a lot of drive. And I think that it makes sense for her to be successful, but she never experiences failure. There's yeah. no opportunity for her to learn to, be self-reliant or to have to say, you know, well, your opinion is wrong and I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I think that ties, you know, this episode, she could have failed big and it would have been amazing oh, yeah. if she had, you know, if the next episodes after this, everybody will get to hear my rants, you know, then um, about the, her letting her stay failing. And she goes to New York anyway and right. tries to make it would have been really fascinating, except for they flip that and they give it to Kurt. And yes, well, I agree that like Kurt for back black better turn gets shit on all the time. I do think that it makes his story more interesting and yeah. gets um, a better development as a character because it's of- an interesting story, but the way that they set it up didn't make sense. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's what made me angry for the entirety of that storyline because the setup didn't make sense. They just, they wanted, they wanted to crush him. And the thing that I keep coming back to, because when we were in real time, we didn't notice that it was going on. But my problem in rewatches is that it, um, it just, you can see it. And I can't stand the Niata storyline through this entire season because every time I come back to it, it just compounds the fact that they are setting up Rachel to be ultimately successful while knocking Kurt down and, I mean, and at the same time, they didn't need to do that for, I mean, why does Kurt failing, why does Kurt have to fail for Rachel to win or even vice versa? I mean, why do they need to parallel these stories like this? I don't know. I don't know. But for this episode, we can revel in Kurt's victory. So let's talk about Kurt's victory. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) I want to talk about his victory. (laughs) Is that what we're calling it now? You can wait like 10 minutes. It's fine. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention about the scene though, is that when Rachel comes up to him at first, she's the first thing she says, I just talked to Blaine. You're going to change your, um, your song. And I think it's interesting that the Kurt and Blaine did probably have a conversation about this. And, and they, you know, I kind of like that even though it's not shown on screen, it is apparent that Blaine is helping Kurt with this kind of stuff. Um, especially after, you know, dance with somebody, but it, it shows that, you know, he's trying. I bet they practice their, I bet a uh, curtain Blaine practice the uh, dance moves in Blaine's bedroom. <laughs> get a little, uh, get a little help with the shimmy. 
like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta swip your hip. Okay. And now I have the mental image of him Skyping with Cooper and Cooper being like, no, nah, no, nah, just, sw- <laughs> just swish your hip so we can, we can get your hips moving faster. Cause he's trying to be a better big brother. And if that's <laughs> helping Kurt, uh, Kurt dance properly, then I feel like he would be willing to help. They're I like this in there when Kurt, when Cooper is like doing this. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I love that it. it didn't even need to be said. You just went there. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. The next scene that comes up is probably one of my favorite comedic moments in the series. <laughs> it is the guys, and Finn has got his board, and he's got this whole plan for. I don't know, capturing Puck? I don't know. I don't know what Finn is trying to accomplish here. I just know that he's got a plan and he's trying to explain it to the boys. <laughs> he has a good heart, but he just does not know how to plan it. What do you think? No, and for somebody who's supposed to be a quarterback, I mean, <laughs> he really should be better with setting up plays. <laughs> I love everything about the scene. And like Finn's like, Rory, you're going to be a lookout. And Rory's like, what am I looking out for besides Buck? <laughs> Blaine, Mike, and myself will triangulate. What? I don't know. Not really. <laughs> a very carefully planned attack on Puck. And, uh, and then the bush. Is that supposed to be a bear? or <laughs> Is that a bear I'm hiding behind? No, it's a bush. How can you not draw a bush? <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. It's just some... Draw some circles as opposed to a very bear-shaped thing. <laughs> Sam is like, it looks well, like a bear. I guess it had to be tall enough to hide Finn. Okay, you know what? I like that argument. It had to be tall enough to hide Finn. <laughs> because Finn is too large for a normal-sized bush or shrub. It would yeah. have to be a tree. <laughs> yes. Or a shrub on top of one of those power station boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam this is like it looks like a bear it's not a bear maybe it's a shrub Rory says what's the difference between a shrub and a bush <laughs> just the comedic timing of the boys and this is hilarious it's a, it's a good scene oh and then um and then I think Finn's uh, oh wait Artie's like <laughs> what am I gonna do Finn's like you're gonna be the bait <laughs> So when Puck comes into the game, you roll your wheelchair into the pool. <laughs> Why? Why does he need to roll his wheelchair into the pool? You know, maybe this is why Finn did not get a chance to play football for Ohio State. Because as a quarterback, he really should be better at coming up with a plan. And this plan is not... It's not D1. This is this is not D1 football here that he's playing. He's playing checkers. It must be at the beginning of the scene because I think <laughs> Finn says, um, uh, Sam, you're going to be a, the lookout in the car. He's like, can I change the radio station? And Finn's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, then they give, you know, their heart-to-heart speech to Puck and Puck talks about his dad and it goes back to things that I don't care about. So... <laughs> Oh man, that scene though. And if you get a second, like pause the whiteboard because it, it's just <laughs> I like Artie in the swimming pool. Oh, oh good plans. Actually, no, terrible plans, but good times. <laughs> terrible plans. Poor choice. All right, now we are getting into things that RV really wants to talk about. So victory. <laughs> I mean, this is fine. The scene is okay. It's not one that I 
rewatch on a basis. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't have a lot of opinions about it. Well, let's start with behind the um, curtains. Um, we have Rachel and Kurt, and they're talking. And Rachel has managed to figure out that Carmen Thibodeau is going to be their um, adjudicator. And, or admissions judge or something. Um, I like Whoopi Goldberg. I love Whoopi Goldberg. I, she's so I fantastic. Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. I can't stand Carmen Thibodeau. <laughs> See, but I didn't... I, I really enjoyed Carmen Thibodeau in this episode. Yeah. When at, with just this episode, I really enjoyed Carmen Thibodeau. And I was like, this is a good addition to this show. And then they screwed the pooch on it. So that's a problem for future podcasts. But in this one, I really enjoy it. I like that you're trying to be really specific to this podcast. Yeah. You're staying on track. I'm so proud of you. I am. I'm trying so hard to be good. (laughs) Well, I'm going to let you loose in a minute. So (laughs) (laughs) for for Carmen in this episode, I thought that she was um, there. I thought that she was a really good representation of what, audition of what auditions are like yeah yeah so oh we didn't talk about kurt asking um rachel to be christine or no uh, rachel had offered to be christine and they're like tina wouldn't mind and then you know, tina doesn't care rachel kind of <laughs> insisting that she was going to be christine i kind of have a mental image of tina already you know in her costume and rachel just kind of shoving her out of the way going you're not needed anymore here's my thing okay so kurt is getting ready to do phantom Underneath the that outfit that was already his, not the boy next door. So I think he's always going in his back of his head. It was like his plan B. He also had his swans on standby. Um, It wasn't really plan B. It was kind of plan A and a half. And and he's just going (laughs) along with Rachel. You know, I also kind of feel like maybe this is just me projecting, but I think that um, Rachel was also wanting to be Christine so that she could steal a little bit of the show too. Like, well, it's not like we've never seen her do that before. Romeo Never. and Juliet. Wow, there's way more connection between this and I am Unicorn than I thought. I know, right? Yeah. So, um, at least Rachel seems to know something about Carmen Thibodeau here because a lot of times she knows nothing about Miata. It's kind of sad, actually. Miata's not a real school. <laughs> it's in the Phantom Zone. I mean, this thing does not actually exist. Well, they needed to make a fake school so they could just, like, have them all go up there. This is true. I, honestly, I can't, I really feel like it's a scam. It's one large warehouse that there's not a sign because that's not cool, as opposed to not alerting the, um, the educational authorities that an illegal for-profit school is running in this building. Um, I don't have a high opinion of the <laughs> I don't really either. And that's coming from somebody who's been to through a music program. I'm, I'm just a little meh about it, but. Uh. Whatever. This is the one school that they all want to attend because apparently it's the bestest. So let's just go with it. Ah, no, stop, 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 stop. Did we break something? Did we break Pam? Can you still hear me? Yes. yes. I accidentally pushed play on a video game on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I need to close Skype because I'm not Skype. I do. Oh, Rachel does say that her dad's have been trolling the Diana chat rooms, not her. So she's not doing the work. Her dads are. Well, you know, good for her for 
uh, outsourcing that duty because she's too busy trying to time her facial expressions down to the millisecond. <laughs> she has been appointed the dean, this is funny, of vocal performance and song interpretation. <laughs> what that does that mean? <laughs> How are you dean of song interpretation? <laughs> because she's Whoopi Goldberg and she can do whatever she damn well pleases. Okay. That doesn't even make sense. She's basically mean Guinan in this, <laughs> if anybody ever watched Star Trek. <laughs> well, I don't they they want us or thought that we were going to analyze it this thoughtfully. <laughs> no, well, you think by season three they yeah. would have figured it out, but just put a name there. Let him let him see if anyone notices. <laughs> um. Uh, so it's audition time. But I'm not done talking about curtains. Yeah! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to drag this out as much as possible. <laughs> There's not even that much in the episode, so we have to drag it out. Fine, I'm sitting here politely waiting patiently. <laughs> anyway, Kurt oh. is, is like scared of her because at one point she was, and I quote, doing whatever, I'm killing my baby Zarya's and, and Carmen Thibodeau, I just wanted to do the little quote, uh, stopped somebody and yelled at them. Which really isn't professional either, but... But she's Carmen Thibodeau. She can do whatever she damn well pleases. Okay. At least that's what I got from the uh, from the fearsome description. Oh. And Kurt's so just nervous. Oh, I love... I do love the little ending thing. He's like... Because um, Rachel says, you're going to do Phantom better than anybody. And he's like, Michael Crawford? <laughs> she's like, okay, okay fine. <laughs> okay. So uh, there's really nothing else left. So um, Kurt goes on stage and he's going to do Phantom and Carmen Thibodeau says, you know, I've heard these songs like eight million times. And that gets the wheels in Kurt's head turning that maybe my plan A was really the better one. And well, RB, do you want to talk about it a little bit? <laughs> okay. So he decides that he's going to do Not the Boy Next Door from The Boy from Oz, which basically got Hugh Jackman a Tony and is in gold lame pants. And this is one of my favorite numbers of the show. Plus, in addition, I am a huge fan of Hugh Jackman's version of this song, which I thought was just stunning. And so when I saw that they were going to be doing this on Glee... I got a little giddy because it's fantastic. And then this number and the scene rose above even my expectations. And the pants are so tight. <laughs> and we get, and, and, and the pants are so tight. I mean, let's just, let's just throw that out there because of the many tight pants that Kurt wears in this series, these are gold LeMay. And they just wrap around in such a way that his shimmy <laughs> is even more effective. I think I, I concur with Carmen Thibodeau when she says that this would have made Hugh Jackman proud. He's got his swans and he's doing his dance out there and he's got it all hanging out for everybody to see. It is amazing. Can and, I just, go ahead? Yes. I was going to share a little bit of BTS with you. Um, this is a true story. I, I, I do have a source for this. Um, and hopefully I won't get in trouble for saying this, but 
basically through the grapevine. Um, some a BTS story about the scene. Chris had to shave his stuff, and he had to be taped down so that it wouldn't go flying everywhere. Oh my god. Love that, and I can totally, I can totally understand where that would have been a necessity because those pants leave nothing to the imagination. Which, in all honesty, like I don't, I feel way, way too old compared to Kurt to put him into a naughty little sex box. <laughs> but this scene tempts me to change my mind because it's. It's delightful and delicious. And on top of that, Kurt nails it. He kicks this song's ass. I mean, if there ever was a song that he was more suited for, I could not tell you. Because the attitude and the vocal range and his swans behind him and the outfit and everything just comes together in this ball of amazement, which once again pisses me off that somebody looked at this and said "Mm, no we don't want you in our school yeah and that's why I don't understand it's like from even what Carbon said to him after he was done with his audition made absolutely no sense right him not to get accepted right and we are shown by her reaction to Rachel that she's not the type of person to mince words she's not going to sugarcoat anything to make these little high schoolers feel better she's given them a swift tall glass of real shit so I took what she said to him at face value I took it as honesty and with her being the dean of vocal performance and song interpretation I assumed that she would have some sort of pull, but apparently not because they make a terrible, terrible decision that is not based on anything other than facts, which again is a big mark in the column that this school is not real. Um, Do you think that he did well in his song interpretation? You know, I think it was okay. I think (laughs) I, I enjoy it a normal amount, a minimal amount. It's, it's fine. I can take it or leave it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And the whole thing was, I loved him. And for anybody who hasn't seen um, the stage for uh, Hugh Jackman's stage version of it, it's pretty faithful to what he does in the song. And when this, um, when this podcast gets posted, I'll reblog it with uh, the video of Hugh Jackman at the Tony. So you can see how the, how the LeMay shimmy holds up. But God bless them all. Oh, I'm sorry, Holly, what'd you say? Oh, no, I think I was just agreeing with what RB was saying. Yeah, RB, do you remember the night that, like, you posted that and we posted them together and we had a conversation about whose pants were tighter? (laughs) Yes! Well, I I don't know where I heard or read it, but somewhere I've read too many things to remember where. But I swear I remember hearing that Chris said that he didn't realize, like, he didn't think the pants were that tight. (laughs) And then he saw what actually was, like, uh, on in in the episode. And he's like, I did not realize that they were that tight. (laughs) This, This song is basically the culmination of that gift from How I Met Your Mother with, that's a penis. I mean... That is this song and this scene is what that gif was made for. 
Love it. Love it. So, to give a little context here, I have never seen um, the um, the boy from Oz. I I know that it's about a character who is, went from a small town and goes off, and it's and he's gay, and uh, um, and he goes off, and he he what is in entertainment, I believe. Yeah. Um and kind of he does come back home but he's not the same person and and I think the song is fantastic for Kurt in expressing like you know I know that I'm not a person who fits in around here but I am very accepting of who I am and I'm not afraid to flaunt that anymore and a lot of Kurt's story coming up to it which is also makes this such a huge performance for him is that you know, in season one, he's closeted. He's being thrown in dumpsters. In season two, he's working through bullying. And he comes, you know, he works through it and he has all these struggles and he comes out the better person, the bigger person. Even in season three, a lot of Kurt's story is about being the bigger person. So him coming out and saying, this is who I am, is just, you know, it's a huge moment. And another frustrating reason that when Carmen later on is like, you know, it rejects him, that it's just frustrating because yeah, this is him. This is really him doing him. Now, I do understand the emotional part. I do. I am glad that we got um, being alive because I think that is another facet to him. But I, I don't like the fact that this particular performance is undermined by all of that. Mm-hmm. This is such a victorious performance and it's presented in such a victorious way that with the remainder of the season and how the storyline plays out, I feel cheated. Yeah. Because it feels like they were setting me up with a lie and not with just what, not with a misdirection. I'm fine with misdirection. It's, you know, how stories are built, but it was built up as a lie. And that's what makes me angry i don't even think the writers did it on purpose to be honest with you i don't think i don't think they're smart enough to do it on purpose and that's another sad point i think that they wrote this to be just everything that we wanted it to be and then they're like oh wait a minute let's just not have him go in and then he'll have to like work his way in through Diniana. we want they wanted rachel to be alone in new york at the beginning of the season this is what happens when you have a group of writers who do not plan out things plan it out major arc set up but they did not have the, mi- the minutiae, the little pieces set in place. So, and I always think everything was sacrificed at the altar of Rachel Berry. I think her storyline came first and everybody else. And I don't even hate Rachel. I really don't, but. That's Ryan Murphy's fault because yes. he just like epitomizes her. And that's what he wants to do. <sighs> but in this episode, I get triumphant Kurt. <laughs> shimmying with his swans behind him (laughs) in Hugh Jackman's gold lame pants. You know what, Arby? Let's talk about it for just a second because we talked about um, in I Am Unicorn Kurt's performance being not at all what was appropriate for that, um, for the West Side Story. And Uh here you have kind of a flip that this is exactly appropriate for this audition. This is exactly what he needed to do. So... Ah. And and it's one of those that I wonder, um, I wonder why that is. And I think that there are a lot of ways you can um, 
make it fit into the narrative as to to why that is because he was getting help from other people deciding things with you know Blaine giving him some instructions with no no more candles don't do it naked don't do it in German don't do it all together at that time um whether it was this is something that was actually really deeply important to him as opposed to just trying to get something on his extracurricular resume mm-hmm. um there are a lot of ways you can make it work, but in regardless of how you how you make it work, when he when it needed to count, it did, and he nailed it. And he has he has better instincts than he thinks. He doesn't need to to make it super showy for people to pay attention to him. He could just pick a good song with a good performance that means something to him and speaks to his experience and and he can nail it and that's kind of what we did see when he did being alive later yes. on so mm-hmm. yeah when he doesn't think too hard about it yeah he kills it it's when he lets it when he lets it get into his head when he takes too much advice from Rachel or, you know and I got I have two examples of him getting it way too into his head and uh, where he falters a lot. One is Animal and Beck and Sexy when he's oh, trying to be yeah. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm going to rub my hips in the middle of a foam party because I'm uh, sexy. <laughs> it's like, oh, sweetie, no. Yeah, that's just like, like embarrassment. Just watching it is so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and the other one is um, later on in season five when he's trying to impress June Dalloway. Um, and they do story of my life and, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, when he is just him and not in his head and just allowed to be him, he does such a fantastic job. So, um, a couple of little things. I, I like the moment before he goes on, um, because he kind of closes his eyes and you can kind of tell there's a switch between, you know, regular Kurt and performance Kurt. And this is performance Kurt coming on. Um, Regular Kurt probably wouldn't, you know, I mean, isn't this, I don't know what the right word is, exuberant? Um, Well, for for anybody who performs, um, I, I sing. So for anybody who theater or sing or something, there's a very specific moment where you have to switch off who you are and move into who you are being at that moment. And so for a show that does so many performances and uh, music and acting and whatnot, there are very few moments where we see that moment where somebody turns themselves off and moves into that performance space. Well, I don't think they talk about it because you've got Rachel and uh, who is that performance all the time. I mean, she is just no matter yeah. where she is always performing. Um, and I think because of the focus that you miss that, you know, a lot of people are kind of, you know, this is the performance and then this is me. So, yeah. Um, well, it makes sense to steal yourself. Plus, this is important. He wants to do it right. He's He has that moment where he's like, this matters. I'm going to give it everything I have. Yep. Going to leave it on the floor. Or he would leave it on the floor if it wasn't all wrapped up very securely in gold lame pants. 
you know he had to baby you know he had to be like baby powder himself to even get in and out of those things but i mean Blaine had to help him do that oh my god Blaine was behind him just hiking it up trying <laughs> to shimmy him in you know he's like laying down where like you know, if you've ever tried to pull on a pair of jeans that were too tight where you're like on your back and your legs are in your air and you're trying to drag them, drag yeah. them down. I bet he's totally doing that. <laughs> so let's talk about, well, since I brought it up Blaine, let's talk about Blaine for just a second because he comes in a little late because he's too busy helping with the whole puck shenanigans. So he comes in a he little bit late. To buy a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, and Will is like quiet down. So he sits down. But And I love just the look on of awe. As, like, first, like, he's worried when Kurt decides to change his mind, but excited and supportive and thrilled. And he just loves everything about this performance. And it, I just love Blaine fangirling in the background. Blaine has this moment of utter support. I mean, he is impressed with Kurt. He is... Uh, sees the culmination of their practice. He's probably super glad that he decided to go with this and not with Phantom. And I, and his awkward Anderson clapping, which is adorable and obviously a family trait because all of them clap like that. That weird kind of <laughs> fingers back, palms flat kind of thing. It's it's adorable, but there's not there's not a lick of jealousy in his eyes when he's watching. He's just sitting there. He's, he's doing the Burt Hummel stare. That's what it is. He's doing the Burt Hummel. That's my boy. Yeah. Stare that well, Burt always does. And he just wants the best for Kirk. Cause like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rachel comes out. Oh, what RB? No, I just needed a moment for my feelings. I got a little. Do you, well you have there, feelings? I thought they were all one level of feelings. Oh yeah, I'm totally all one level of feelings. You you have a variety. <laughs> I, told... <laughs> I, I I don't want anybody to be overwhelmed by my ambivalence. <laughs> oh, Arby. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and Rachel comes to listen to him and is proud, and even Will is like, "Oh, wait a minute! I have this amazing person in my glee club. Didn't know that." <sighs> Idiot. Idiot. Just saying, idiot. <laughs> idiot. Um, I want to talk quickly about um, the performance itself. Um, vocally, he sounds amazing. I'm really sad that this version doesn't do what the full studio version does. Um, and it really, really shows off uh, Kurt's range. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So gorgeous. I mean, he hits a bunch of high notes in the studio version. And then and he's, he has this giant glide up. And, um, yeah, so listen to the we, studio version because it's we should, we should link to the full studio version when this podcast goes out, too. Yeah. Um, the, and, and RB is definitely correct um, about the choreography being nearly identical to what Hugh Jackman does. Um, except for Kurt jumping on the piano. That's such a Kurt yes. thing. I love Kurt jumping on the piano. You know, Kurt has to add his own little spice to it. Oh. Now, why couldn't have Hugh Jackman been a guest star? That would have been fun. I wonder if they ever oh, asked him. That would have been fun. Oh, I want that. <laughs> you going to go back and rewind time and make that happen? Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to hop into my time machine and fix this. Honestly, if I had a time machine, there are so many things I would fix. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just that. Just Hugh Jackman. Just Everything else the same. We can write them. Even better. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, I mean, we can just probably gush about this 
for ages, but it is a, a fantastic performance. Perfect for Kurt. Shows off so much. Uh, yeah, that's really what makes this particular episode it. special. So He nails it. Yeah. And then you have Rachel. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you went there quickly. Um, yeah. But Because if we don't shift, I'm going to talk about this for another two hours. And I don't think, one, I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. Our listeners don't have time for that. We could do a special where it's just me going, oh, my God, his gold lame pants. But we, we can move on to. Well, the one last thing I wanted to say, though, was um, at the end, Kurt even looks like he he had so much confidence, but he is so proud of himself for doing it. I mean, he's so like, yes, I nailed that. He knows he nailed it. Yes. And I mean, and then he, he shakes a little bit because Carmen Thibodeau is like, hey, you know, I trained with you in the Sydney Opera House. And, and I'm certain that he would be proud of you and proud of that performance. And she says she's impressed with it. So. Right. Because in this episode, she has good taste. I can't say anything for the remainder of the episodes, but in this episode, she has good taste. Before she was apparently taken over by aliens. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. That's it. She was taken over by an alien that gave nothing but poor decision making. You know what's interesting? I just noticed this because he gets really excited when she says that. And Blaine, of course, is ecstatic. Will is impressed. Rachel like does a double take where she's, it makes her unsure. And that is one thing that I kind of hate that Glee does. It is natural to be slightly jealous of somebody when somebody else is succeeding in something that you want to be succeeding in. I totally get that. Especially as a teenager. I really get that. Um, but Rachel has a tendency that if something, you know, is going better for somebody else, like Mercedes, she thinks that Mercedes is going to get the role. So she decides to go out for the student election because she doesn't think she's good enough. Suddenly her confidence is blown so easily but you know i don't i don't think that that's out of character i i actually enjoyed that they kept that look in because she's not used to people telling kurt that he's doing a good job you know she's used to being the only voice of don't worry you can do it you're good to kurt and he's getting this external validation that is making her that's making her think because the way that she approaches things is a zero sum game. If she's not winning, she's losing. And if somebody else is winning, she's losing. So if Kurt has nailed this and has obviously garnered praise from Carmen Thibodeau and a look of surprise and uh, being impressed from Will, which he never gets because all of that is reserved for her or for Finn, then it's it's shaking her foundation because if he's doing so good, obviously she's not. Yep. All right. So yeah, we do have Rachel's. We should talk about Rachel for a second because this, you know, affects everything going forward. Um, she sings two bars perfectly. Of Don't rain on my parade, and then stops. And or sorry, four bars, and then another four bars, and she forgets the Which makes I mean, you can. I mean, it's you know. Here's what we were talking about earlier about practicing. You know, if you are so comfortable with something that you don't practice and you don't, you know, put yourself, um, I don't know, don't test yourself. I mean, I know she was practicing all of these things in the beginning, 
but she wasn't practicing her song. And she was so, like, overconfident about the whole thing. Well, it's something that she has done over and over and over again. She knows it back back and forward. And, I mean, it's very obvious, like, for anybody who has ever played sports, she got the yips. You know, it got into her head. It was something that she knows by muscle memory. This is not a song that she has to check the words on. This is not something that she's unsure of, um the chord progressions or anything. She knows the song backwards and forwards, but it got into her head. And then all of a sudden it just cut off. And that, that happens to the greats. Um, so it's, it's not something that's out of the realm of possibility, but maybe she should have spent more time going over her song in the auditorium than timing her facial expressions or, you know, trying to talk Kurt out of doing whatever he was doing or, yeah, she shouldn't have also watched Kurt's performance either. That was, no, that was mistake number one. Yeah. But, and then, you know, you get Kurt is like, you know, excited from his performance, but then he's watching Rachel which after you're done, you can go ahead and watch the other persons. Um, but um, yeah, then now all of his excitement is taken away by her failure, which is another trend that they've been doing throughout this entire season. Yeah. So well, instead of getting, he to always win, has to do the emotional labor with her. Instead of, yeah. oh, go ahead. Rachel just always needs self validation, like all the time, and if she doesn't get it, then. She's going to have a tantrum, like a tantrum, and nothing's going to be happy. Because we've you seen know, that I, later I, on. I do, I, do, I do feel bad for her. I mean, she's obviously somebody who hasn't learned how to self-validate. She needs the external validation. She needs somebody else to tell her that she's doing a good job, as opposed yeah. to knowing it innately, I did a good job with this. And I, I feel bad for her that she's gotten to this point um, and hasn't learned that very valuable lesson. But I but I also feel bad that it's Kurt who has to do all of the emotional labor with that. It's it's his job to prop her up instead of being able to revel in his uh in his victory. Exactly. Well, and it, as Snarky always says, you know, everybody tells Rachel the only thing that's good about her is her talent. And when she fails at her talent, one talented thing, it's devastating. So I, I do get that. And it's very sad that nobody else does give her a chance. You know, and that's why, you know, Finn and, and Kurt and and Will, to an extent, are around. But it is, as you said, frustrating because, you know, Finn is going to comfort her, but Kurt is going to be the one who lifts her emotionally, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Oh, Rachel. Okay, so going on to happier and crackier things, um, we get the boys studying for uh, Finn's test. And I know a lot of people don't like this song. I get it. I think it is hilarious. Um, and it is the Rain in Spain. It's like the heavy metal version of the Rain in Spain. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting rendition of this song. And aren't isn't it supposed to be like three in the morning? Yeah, it's three in the morning. Yeah. Why the hell are they in this school building? Why did a janitor not throw them out at, you know, five? How did they even get in the school? Well, they probably never and left, but... Did, did they just not leave? Does no... Oh, did... 
is there no security guard? Is there no janitors? Is there no teachers? Is Figgins not leave? I mean, at this point, they've got to be locked in. So even if they wanted to leave, they couldn't. This is a terrible, terrible. Why could they not be practicing at somebody's house where they have, you know, food and restrooms? Because that that's the logical answer. Uh, <laughs> why won't they just take the logical answer for once? <laughs> just once. This is a terrible choice. I'm also not a fan of the song, and I also forgot that this whole storyline existed, so... <laughs> well, and I wouldn't... I normally just <laughs> gosh over it. Blaine's got, like, background moments. Like, I'm thorough. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if it's not the hiding behind a bear, I kind of forgot that this whole storyline existed. <laughs> well, and it's not like Blaine does much in it anyway. Um, but... <laughs> but it's... He's just there to look pretty and give support. Uh, yes, he always does. Well, and I think it's funny that he was helping earlier. He stops to go watch Kurt's audition, which may have been, you know, in the evening time. And then now it's three in the morning and they're all. Well, what did he tell Kurt? Was he like, yeah, I've got to go back to the music room because we're going to stay here all night. <laughs> and, and Kurt's just like, okay, that sounds great. Bye. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll bring you a fresh pair of clothing. <laughs> This it's makes this makes literally no sense. And Glee often doesn't make any sense, but this makes even less sense than normal. It's because we don't then we're not supposed to overanalyze it. That's the thing. This isn't even a case of overanalyzing. This is just why the hell are you in school at three in the morning? Yeah, really. They didn't they didn't even have to add in that line because I would have assumed that it was like four in the afternoon. Yeah. Like we're because funny and hard. Sense anyway. Well, it's because right. they're all tired. I've met a number of teenage boys who were tired at four in the afternoon. <laughs> what were you doing meeting teenage boys at four in the afternoon, RV? Because I used to be a teenage girl. Oh. <laughs> Back in the day when I was a high school student, I had a number of friends who were tired at four in the afternoon and needed to have a snack. Because apparently at 17 years old, you can't get by without a snack. No, you really can't, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so... My my experience with that is just, you know, you could be tired at at any time of the day. It did not have to be three in the morning. Why are you here? This is a terrible school. They should not be letting you do this. How are they preparing these kids for success in the real world? And he's got to test in the more like four hours. So like whatever. But and does, do his does his mom not care where he is? Do any of their parents not care where they are? Or is it one of those that they were all saying, "Oh no, I'm staying at such and such. I'm staying at Rory's house. I swear he's a real <laughs> kid. He's the Irish one. Yes, I know you don't remember him, but I swear he's real." But Rory is at like stays at Brittany's house, so are they all at? Oh my god, (laughs) I hadn't even forgotten that. So who knows where these kids are? (laughs) There's some giant conspiracy theory, and honestly, I don't think that Bert and Carol would uh, would go for this kind of shenanigans. Yeah, Yeah, where are Bert and Carol during this anyway? Because they're not at Kurt's audition. Jeez, they. They would do. Uh, they would do better to keep an eye on these kids because there's some shenanigans going on. <laughs> anyway, Blaine does have a little bit of advice, which is, um, uh, uh, Puck's like, I'm never going to remember any of this, or why do I need it? And, and Blaine's like, Well, wipe it from your memory tomorrow after your test. Which is solid advice that we have all yeah. followed at uh, at one point or another. 
Yeah. It just cracks me up that they probably specifically said that this was history and geography, because who's learning geography as a senior in high school, but um, so that they could get... More people should. More people should learn geography. That's true, but, like, do they really need to know the rain in Spain? I mean... <laughs> if it makes you feel better, here's a story from college. I was taking a, um, a course on the Vietnam War, and we, as part of it, was a map thing to be able to place the major players. And one person in my class placed Vietnam in the middle of Russia. What? Yes. So let me reiterate, geography is super important. No, it is. Because if not, you're going to have people who think that Vietnam is in the middle of Russia. It's very bad. Well, um, about the scene, though, say what you will about the song. The performance is hilarious. I, I like um, Blaine's, oh, I think he's got it. <laughs> and there's more. Blaine and Mike shenanigans and just all the guys are rocking out. And it's Rory has maracas. <laughs> because of course he does. Because maybe this is maybe this is Puck's fever dream after staying up too late. Maybe this didn't actually happen. Well, he thinks them all maybe later, so... It, this is imaginative. Maybe this is all fiction. Maybe this is all in somebody's head as they are shaking a snow globe. <laughs> oh, man. Just throwing that out there as an option. Um, but yeah, Blaine's playing around with a pizza box. That's sanitary, but... Okay. And they're, I love well, that they're... Well, are disgusting. So. They, that's true, they are. They would totally do this. <laughs> And then um, they're all headbanging, though, and it's really funny because Joe can totally do it, but Blaine's right next to him, and his little gelled head is... <laughs> this is the downside to his dependence on gel. Yes. He does not have the hair movement that would make this effective. None of them really do, except for Joe. But yeah, they already a little bit. I like yeah, that well. Artie pulls them back into it, though, because after the song's over, he's like, next question! And Puck's like, oh, fun. I thought we were going to just keep rocking out. <sighs> so, Okay, so then that we move, Puck actually takes his test, and um, he comes out. And this is such a weird thing. Maybe you can explain this to me. Puck takes his test. He feels good about it. And he's like, I want to thank you guys, even you, Blaine. Like, why? Why does he, why the dig at Blaine? I don't even. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't consider him a guy. Maybe he forgot that he was there. Maybe some sort of Rory's weird exchange student magic was rubbing off and making him disappear. I don't know. Again, Glee's not good on continuity. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, before we get a lot of the, like, be a man stuff that the show does a lot of, because he talks about, like, I never had any male role models in my life, but you guys are a whole bunch of awesome men. Even you, Blaine. So, yeah, it's partly with the... Uh, whatever. Puck, you're kind of a douchebag, but oh well. Yeah. Really? I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's never come up before in the show. Um, I want to give a shout-out to um, the end of the girl storyline, uh, which is... Um, she, she goes... Beast... No, sorry. Beast goes back with Cooper. Oh, God. I give up. I'm done for the day. <laughs> you know, this story would be a lot different if it was Cooper instead of Cooter. 
Because Cooper would not treat her as poor. No. No. I bet Cooper's a tender lover. (laughs) All the pointing. All the pointing. You know, he's really good with his finger. He knows how to get it into the right place. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) RB. You set me up. What was I supposed to do? Ignore it? Not expecting that there. (laughs) It was right there. There. Right there. Um, okay, in seriousness, because we're talking about a serious topic, though, um, I I do like that Sue ends up being there for her, um, the girls show their support, they sing Shake It Out, which is a really great song, um, and, and I do like that they all kind of come together for her, for Coach Beast, so, um, then we get our final Hummelberry scene, which, mm, grumble, okay, Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, um, Kurt comes along, and he, first of all, he's like, you know, he starts, like, bashing Carmen Thibodeau, because, you know, that's what you do when your friend is, like, mad at somebody. Well, yeah, they're awful. They're, I hate them. Even if Kurt doesn't 100% feel that. At least Rachel sees through what he's doing. Um, and, and, and owns up to the fact that she just, you know, uh, made the mistake. I'm, I'm glad to see her do that here. I really like the fact that that she pointed out when he was like, "Well, he she should have given her she should have given you another chance," and she's like, "Well, she did," and I blew it. I was like, "Well, that's very big of you to recognize that because she did let you start over, which most people would not." Exactly, the fact that you know she does say too to Kurt, you know, you did a really great job. I, I'm I'm glad that she acknowledges that. It just it's sad to me that you know. She didn't, and, and I think that, okay, if this was an, you know, one incident of Rachel Berry missed and, you know, she failed her audition, I think this scene would be very sweet and comforting. But the fact that Kurt keeps doing this over and over again, that this is, yeah. his, you know, a go-to scene, Rachel Berry cries, he comforts her. That is what is what, what I find frustrating. And I know, like, I do think that Rachel Berry deserves friends. I do think that she deserves, um, you know, somebody supporting her. And that my problem is not with the actual like friendship. It's the fact that the writers keep writing these same scenes over and over again to the point where it feels like, you know, the only purpose Kurt has is to be Rachel's support system. Right. Well, and that happens again, like later on in the fourth season, especially with midnight madness and everything that happens after that. And even it's like her opening night or close to it. She's like, no, I don't want to do this. It, yeah, definitely. They they play to having Kurt be under Rachel. Yep. It's that it's that need for external validation. Yeah. That she she continually needs somebody else to help hold her up because she hasn't learned how to support herself yet, and it's mm-hmm. such a disservice. I mean, she's. She's a very talented girl with a lot of drive, and I just wish that she was able to um, self-support herself a little bit more than she is. And she, I mean, she gets this kind of storyline all the way going through season six. I, I kind of like her character much better in seasons five and six, but and Mercedes is going to end up, unfortunately, taking more of the role that Kurt has now. Um, but it's kind of like, at what point, you know... Is she always going to be like this? I mean, is Jesse going to be trotting around telling her how wonderful she is? I mean, is her Tony finally going to validate her? What, you know, 
<laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, and part of it is teenagerness. I, you know, I do understand being insecure as a teenager. Even when you're talented at something, teenage dumb is hard, but. And I mean, this happening is devastating. Yeah. We, we shouldn't. We shouldn't brush over it. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of Rachel should be able to handle this. Kurt is doing emotional labor. All of those arguments are true. But this is actually a moment that is devastating for a lot of kids who don't get into the school that they want, don't get the job that they want, that they were ultimately, you know, that they were qualified for that, you know, they didn't get onto the team because in that moment they, they choked. And I think that we should, that we shouldn't dismiss how crushing something like this is. No. And that's why I, I, I like as a standalone, I like this episode as a standalone um, yeah. because I do think um, it's unfortunate that we didn't get Kurt's, you know, crushed, you know, thing, uh, you know, his reaction. We don't really get anything from him at the end of the season. But this, uh, you know, I'm sure he cried after not getting, you know, into Miata. He, you know, ah! but I, I don't, I, I think you're right. It, I, you shouldn't undermine that, you know, if you have all of these hopes and dreams and you go off to try to be in college and they say, you know what, kid, you're not good enough. It is the first time you go through that kind of thing. Yeah. It is the most crushing thing. It's kind of like Asa Finn didn't get into um, OSU's football, and he was absolutely yeah. crushed. Yeah. And I mean, how many of us have gone through something where we were top of the heap in our high school, and then got out into college or the real world and realized that, well, shit, I'm not as good as I was led to believe. Not because of anything I've done, but because there are kids who are so much better. It's crushing. I mean, it's just one of those that I don't think we should discount how devastating something like this is when we're looking at it as a whole going, I wish that Kurt didn't have to emotionally support you all the time. Yeah. I, I get her being absolutely devastated and in need of some support. And I actually feel bad for her in the fact that I think she deserved to have this really low moment. I think that she deserved, you know, cause Kurt like hugs her and says, I love you. And you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think she deserves all of that. Especially in this moment that is all like crushing. I wish that the context around it didn't make the rest of us you know, feel resentful. Like, you right. know, we didn't get any moment with Kurt and Blaine celebrating or anything. We don't get any, you know, really, we know we get Rachel Berry's story and this, yeah, this episode taken singularly, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good episode. These are good points to hit. But when you take it as part of the larger whole, there there's a lot to be angry about. Exactly. And then Rachel has her solo at the end. And she, you know, I mean, I'm not always the biggest Michelle, Michelle fan, but I, her, she's excellent in this. And, she, you know, when she's like curled up in her pajamas with Finn just wrapped around her, it is so heartbreaking. But, you know, she's sung so many emotional ballads. It's like, you know, in I context. I don't think that the song was performed poorly. I do kind of wish that she hadn't gone as far into sad, wobbly jaw cry face yeah. that she did with this one. I mean, it, 
it was it was not the best way to present the song. Did not enjoy the optics of it. And I don't even mind the song itself, but it's just the fact that in context, as we've said, it's just so much. We've spent so much time with Rachel Berry emoting everywhere, but when the time she gets to actually feel something real, it doesn't, we were numb to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's choke. Um, now that my parents are gone, you have anything more to say about those golden white pants, Arby? <laughs> well, I've talked about it wrapping a penis. I've talked about Cooper Anderson knowing where to put his fingers. I'm not sure what I could say uh, <laughs> now that now that the gloves are off. That was me restrained. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's who doesn't love the gold lame pants? It's wonderful, and that that musical number is one of my all-time favorites that Glee has ever done, and I always love the chance to talk about it. I will say, uh, coming out of this, this starts kind of my least favorite um, section of the series. Um, we get into these and the last season three moments, beginning of season four stuff. And, and narratively, this is my least favorite part of the show. So um, those of you that have enjoyed my whining so far in season three, well, <laughs> we're almost done, but it's going to get worse. So, um, so yeah. Uh, well, it, it's always darkest before the dawn. Exactly. Exactly. Um, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to add? Anything that we didn't touch upon that you wanted to talk about? My love for the gold lame pants knows no bounds. My love for Hugh Jackman knows no bounds. And the fact that we're able to combine both with Kurt's soaring uh, countertenor, it's a winner. There you have it. Cool. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, Holly, for joining us for the first time. Um, And next week we will be back with everybody's favorite prom episode, the one about dinosaurs, Promosaurus. Thanks for listening and have a great night. Go!